In episode six of The Modern Medic, we talk about bleeding control mistakes. And welcome to another episode of The Modern Medic. I'm your host, Jeremy Holder from TACMED Australia. And today, we're going to talk about the five common mistakes we commonly see. Five common mistakes we commonly see. Five mistakes we see in bleeding control. So outside of, uh, outside of the tactical medicine and high threat medicine sort of industries, uh, even to this day, bleeding control is not something, and I'm talking about life-threatening bleeding control, is not something that's commonly taught, certainly not here in Australia in most first aid courses. And even as a paramedic going through my training, we, we received pretty average uh, training on uh, on bleeding control because it's not you know these big life-threatening bleeds uh, they're not as common as as people uh, think even on a uh, intensive care ambulance it's certainly not something we see even weekly but it's one of those things you know bleeding control is a leading leading cause of preventable death uh, in both civilian and military trauma obviously military uh, you know you're talking about large you know large amounts of blast and penetrating trauma uh, but even in the civilian, you know, it's more so the uh, in Australia the blunt trauma. Certainly, other areas you've got your uh, penetrating trauma around the world. The you know sort of South Africa's and uh, your US and whatnot. Um, but it's it's still one of the leading causes. So really important that we have a uh, a great understanding and the confidence to be able to treat those life threatening uh, bleeds. Um, so you know the only thing that replaces blood is blood. So it's really important, obviously, that we uh, try to keep it in the body. So aggressive, quick and aggressive, effective hemorrhage control is really important. So what are the five common mistakes we see when uh, when people are trying to stop their life-threatening bleeding? The first mistake that we commonly see is people wrap towels around the wound. So whether that's a tea towel, a bath towel, uh, it can even be big jackets and jumpers and, and whatnot. Uh, a towel can absorb a massive amount of blood. And bleeding control, as we know, is about pressure and not absorption. I remember attending a job on the ambulance where we, uh, we arrived on scene and a few drunk males out front of the, uh, out front of the, the building. And uh, as we arrived, they walked over the ambulance with old mate with a limb wrapped in a towel. And uh, you can see there's a bit of blood in the, on the towel. And as we've sort of got closer to him, he's unwrapped the towel and uh, held out his arm where it's spurted straight up the side of the, the ambulance. We almost had to sort of duck it like a Matrix style. And so obviously we've jumped on that bleed to stop it. But wrapped in that towel, it can hold a huge amount of blood. So he had arterial bleeding into that towel and simply absorbing blood. There was, there was no real pressure with that amount of material in the towel. So... Towels is a really common mistake, and it's and it's easy to make. You know, people wrap up that injury, and if it's uh, if it's not seen, then it's not bad in their in their eyes. So we really want to again direct pressure or indirect pressure with a tourniquet. But pressure bleeding control is about pressure and not absorption. All right, number two, if blood soaks through a dressing, then you apply another dressing over top. Now, this is a little bit of a controversial subject, uh, this one, and, and every time I sort of talk about this, whether it's on, uh, online or uh, 
in a blog post or a social media or anything like that. Even on some of our courses, this is something that generally uh, brings up a fair bit of discussion. So even to this day, uh, in some of our first aid uh, manuals, it states that if a bleeding soaks through, um, then you're going to apply another dressing over top. And then if that soaks through, we remove it. But when you think about it, and, and remember, I, I'm talking about life-threatening bleeding here. I'm not talking about placing on a dressing uh, and in half hour, 20 minutes, half hour, hour, it soaks through. I'm talking about if you place a dressing, a trauma dressing, a combine, anything like that on top of a, a severe bleed, and it soaks through uh, very quickly, uh, then that's not effective. And by applying another dressing over the top, uh, you're simply going to absorb more blood. So we really need to apply a big amount of pressure and by putting another dressing over top, it's just not going to do that. So people say, yes, well, what happens if they've developed clots? Well, if the blood is bleeding straight through that dressing and soaking, then there's if there's any clots in there, then they're ineffective and it's not going to do anything. So we need to remove that dressing and either pack that wound or place some more direct pressure on it. Okay, sometimes the bigger dressings can, uh, well, just simple physics, they're not going to apply the, the surface area. They're not going to apply as much direct pressure as a bit of gauze that you pack into the wound. So don't just keep piling on those dressings. It's just going to absorb blood. Okay, and mistake number three that we see is people elevating a bleeding limb in the air. Now, I may eat my words later on when some more studies come out. I know there's one out there that suggests that raising a limb in the air uh, may decrease the, uh, the, the venous pressure. But again, remember, we're talking about life-threatening bleeding, which is generally arterial. Not always, but generally arterial. So elevating your limb in the air, again, this was, this was based off some common sense. And, uh, but, but there wasn't a lot of evidence that sort of confirmed that holding a limb in the air is actually going to control the bleeding. But what we do know is that, you know, if you hold a limb uh, in the air, moving that limb, movement one can cause some more bleeding. Movement can also cause some pain when you're moving that limb around to hold it in the air. And again, we don't want to cause pain to our patient because that's going to make the move and move is going to cause more bleeding and obviously if uh, certainly if you've got some associated fractures in that limb as well that can cause more injury and if you've got a, uh, a broken uh, broken arm with uh, some sharp uh, bits of broken bone that can that can lacerate and cut some more uh, blood vessels so we don't want to be moving a limb so I tend to not elevate any limbs when they are when you're for hemorrhage control and I know there's a lot of guidelines will still say pressure and elevation. Uh, again, for life-threatening bleeding, uh, big wounds, let's not elevate that limb. Right, moving on to mistake number four we see is using a tourniquet as a last resort. This mindset kills me, kills me. Again, it should be another tool in the toolbox and it shouldn't be used as a blood, as a last resort. When blood is on the floor, it's too late, okay? And remember what you said, blood is the only thing that can replace blood. So I just tell people that we look at the, the oh shit moment. If you rock up and there is you know, profuse amount of bleeding from a limb, 
then I'm generally just going to get them to place pressure on it uh, while we place on a tourniquet if you have one. So we know that the studies show that only around a 4% survival rate when tourniquets are applied after the onset of shock. Obviously, as opposed to 96% survival rates when you place on tourniquets before the onset of hemorrhagic shock. So we need to get those tourniquets on early. If you think it's a life-threatening bleed uh, on a limb, then don't be afraid to put on those tourniquets. We know we've got 20 years of science now uh, from the global war on terror that shows you know thousands and thousands of applications of tourniquets that they are very safe. So again, I'm not saying put them on every wound, but I don't wait until it's a last resort. Don't be waiting until you've applied pressure, indirect pressure, pressure points, multiple dressings before you put them on. Uh, get those tourniquets on life-threatening bleeds on limbs. Mistake number five we see is using belts as tourniquets. So we know improvised tourniquets uh, without a windlass have been shown to have up to a 99% failure rate. Okay, so we can say they're almost completely useless without a windlass. Even with a windlass, so a windlass being, uh, if you think to fencing, to tighten fences, where you can get uh, like a steel rod or a rod and you place that between the wires and you twist it, and that tightens the fence, it's the same concept. So if you place something rigid, um, you know, like a tire iron or extendable batten if you're in law enforcement or something that's not going to break, if you place that in between uh, a shirt or a triangle bandage and you twist that, that's going to create circumferential pressure and that's going to occlude the arteries. So even when you use a windlass, there's still around a 30% failure rate in improvised tourniquets in some studies. Now, going back to belts and why belts are a terrible tourniquet is most belts that uh, that people wear uh, are generally quite rigid, especially when we talk about leather belts. Uh, and they are very difficult to windless. So to windless, you're going to have to do multiple rotations to get that good circumferential pressure. And with a leather belt, you just simply can't do that. So if you have to improvise, we recommend using, obviously, cotton triangular bandages are my favorite, and they're obviously available in a lot of uh, off-the-shelf first aid kits and, and generally pretty easy to find. Uh, if not, you know, your normal T-shirt uh, is, going to, uh, is going to suffice. It's obviously soft enough that you'll be able to get multiple turns uh, on the windlass for an improvised tourniquet. Okay, that is some of the five common mistakes we see in, uh, in bleeding control in first aid. If you want to know more, uh, our medical director, Dr. Dan Pronk, a former special operations doctor, he's written an ebook for us, and it's called Arterial Tourniquets for Law Enforcement and First Responders. You can sign up uh, to an email and grab a free PDF copy of Dan's book. Uh, it's a 40-page ebook. It gets into great depth on arterial tourniquets and so you can get that on themodernmedic.com so themodernmedic.com jump on there throw in your email first name and you'll get a instant copy of dan's uh, ebook for arterial tourniquets so thanks for listening it's been another episode of the modern medic i'm your host jeremy holder and i'll see you next time thanks for listening